What is up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Fantasy Life Podcast brought to you by KFC. My name is Marcus Grant. His name is Dwayne McFarland. Matthew Barry will be joining us in just a little bit. But uh, Dwayne, we are full on into week two. How are we feeling? Uh, have, we, have we learned more? And are we, are we better prepared uh, to kind of get into this starting to, in week two? Well, we hope we're better prepared. Like we like to think we're better prepared, but you know, we're dealing with a one week sample size. So like with some of these players, yeah, I do feel a lot better because like we have history. Then maybe we saw something in the preseason and then we saw something in week one. Like if you have that going for you, yeah, you feel great. But then there's other, you know, scenarios where we heard one thing in the off season and then all of a sudden we saw something different in the preseason. Now week one is a whole nother story. So it's like, okay, where's the truth at? I think we have to lean to week one. Like it's the most recent data point. It's the most relevant. They're actually trying to win a game. But in the end, you know how this stuff goes. We'll get more curveballs in week two. Yeah, I always feel like, you know, after week one, we wildly react, overreact in one direction. Then week two, we sort of wildly overreact in the other direction. And it's about week three where I feel like, okay, now we've got uh, a decent amount of data to sort of, you know, figure out what's going on here. So uh, it'll be interesting as we get into it. We got plenty to talk about. A lot of rankings talk today. We'll go through uh, the positions and sort of figure out guys that maybe we were a little bit wrong on and how we correct in a, in a proper manner there. So we'll go through quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends. But let's start by the the idea of just sort of examining our priors right we guys that we talked about during the preseason uh who might have slid down draft boards and maybe we were sort of trying to figure out why but now we sort of look at what happened in week 1 and we kind of reexamine our thoughts is there is there somebody that uh you know you have kind of course corrected on after what you saw in week 1 I don't think it's so much course correction. It's kind of what we expected. But what I'm noticing, you know, because I always, as I'm doing my rankings for the week and they are up over on Fantasy Life now, um, you actually guys can check out my tiers article. You can also check out rankings from me and Waz and you can check out the whole crew. But as I was look, as I thought through this, like I kept noticing, like, why are people still low on James Conner and Leonard Fournette? When I say low, like they have him like, you know, running back 12, 13, 14. And I get it. Like when we were drafting them this summer, you know, you took them in the third round because you're like, okay, they're a little older. Um, you know, they're not necessarily that, you know, explosive, you know, but they're players that had a role, right? Definitely in good offenses. So we felt good about them, but I feel like there's kind of a, you know, there's a hangover, if you will, with a lot of fantasy players, they're still kind of stuck. And well, here's why I drafted them in the third round, but now you need to adjust and realize, well, it doesn't matter right now. Now, Leonard Fournette was limited yesterday. As soon as we say this, right. And, um, <laughs> in, in practice with a hamstring, but limited on Wednesday, I really don't care. Let's talk about Thursday. If you're missing practice, that's another thing. But at the end of the day, looking at them, they both play in, you know, good offenses the bucks are a little wounded right now uh but they're out there all the time man like if you look at fournette last week you know he dominated snaps 76 percent uh rushing attempts he handled 64 percent 76 percent of the time he was in a route when tom brady's dropping back to pass 76 percent of the time he was in a route like that's huge so since 2011 marcus eight backs have handled over 60 percent of their rushing attempts which fournette's kind of on track to do this year he would have done it last year uh during the stretch where you didn't have geo bernard and then if he does eclipse that 70 percent route per participation which is like a that's really high for a running back like that's cmc type level here are the finishes for those backs um rb1 rb3 rb7 which happened to be fournette in 2019 rb1 rb2 rb1 rb1 rb3 so it's just like come on folks like leonard fournette's a top six back as long as he's healthy i know you ranked him you know lower and you took him lower you know to start the season but right now we are just heading into week two and that's all we care about. And really you can say the same exact thing about James Conner. Um, you know, I won't go through everything about him, but very similar profile was on the field slightly less than Leonard Fournette, but in an offense with the Cardinals where last week before halftime, when the game was, I don't want to say the game was still a game. That game was over pretty quickly, let's be <laughs> honest. But before halftime, he was actually out there 90% of the snaps. He still ended up at 73% on the week, but in the second half, there's a chance that a decent amount of the Chase Edmonds utilization was really just because they were like, eh, let's just not get James Conner hurt, right? Let's just kind of try to keep him healthy. We paid him. So another guy that's just absolutely, as long as he's healthy and he is out there heading into the week, like not having him in your top 10, like is just really tough in my opinion. And I see a lot of rankings where he's not there and it just kind of blows my mind. I get, I, and you can rank him differently for the rest of the season, but all we're talking about right now is week two. And when I'm just looking at one week, I'm assuming these guys are healthy. 
Yeah, I believe so as well. You know, I, I didn't understand, I'm with you, I didn't understand Leonard Fournette being, you know, knocked down draft boards. My only concern with James Conner was just the touchdown number, <clears throat> excuse me, and whether or not he could match that again. But in terms of his usage, uh, I think you're you're on point there. I don't know, maybe Dwayne, it's just that they're not sexy names. I, I You know, they don't they don't run a ton of routes. Uh, they're just not, I, I can't, I can't explain it. But for whatever reason, it just, it just didn't make a lot of sense. Um, but, but they are running a bunch of routes. That's the beauty. Both of them are just like, I mean, they're every down backs right now. So, but I'm with you. It's just something that's almost like people are like, oh, that sounds like I don't want vanilla today. I, I really want like uh, this other janky. F My wife, like she's always bringing home. Like I love the tried and trues around here at the McFarland household. I'm like, give me the cookies and cream. Bring me the Dutch chocolate. I'll do the chocolate chip. And she comes home and it's like, it's like, uh, cookies and cream with some raspberry and something else. I'm like, honey, I'm like, what do we do? We don't need to introduce this. Some things in life are like just, you know, they're good. And so Fournette and Connor are like that, right? They're good, but everybody wants to try the new flavors. So I think you're onto something with that. Yeah, the classics are a classic for a reason. Sometimes we just got to, you know, understand that. That's all. This episode of Fantasy Life is brought to you by Kentucky Fried Chicken. That's finger licking good. Make the whole squad happy on game day with a 12-piece tenders meal from KFC. The KFC 12-piece tender meal features 12 extra crispy tenders, six fluffy biscuits, three sides of your choice, and of course, dipping sauce. KFC's homestyle side options include new secret recipe fries, mac and cheese, coleslaw, mashed potatoes, and more. Order now on the KFC app or at KFC.com. All right, let's dive into a little bit of rankings talk here because, as you mentioned, your rankings are out over at Fantasy Life. Uh, you can go check them out there. Please do if you get a chance. And so I want to talk about some guys that maybe you're a little bit higher than consensus on right now. Uh, one of them is is Derek Carr. You're slightly above everybody else on Derek Carr. Uh, this is a guy that, again, you want to talk about you know, maybe the basics, right? The, the guys who are sort of unsexy. We don't think about him the way we think about, you know, the Mahomeses. He's not a runner like Jalen Hurts or Lamar Jackson. But this is a guy who very quietly seems to be getting it done week in and week out. Uh, for you, does, how much changed with Devontae Adams? Or, or were you still always kind of a believer in Derek Carr? No, it, it, the Devontae Adams thing helps a ton just like it hurts Aaron Rodgers. Like having a really good receiver matters because it's it's different than running back. And now having a really good running back, I you know, obviously there's a skill, there's there are layers of skills and some running backs can do more with their opportunity. But at the end of the day, like the offensive line's doing a big part of it, you know, and it's like, okay, great. One running back might make four yards, four and a half yards. But for receivers, if you can't get open, if you can't beat a good coverage corner, if you can't, you know, comprehend zone coverage, if your quarterback doesn't trust you to know what you're doing, like there's so much that goes into being a receiver. And what we've seen is, you know, you can't just replace them so easily. Um, it's much tougher to replace a receiver than it is a running back just by the nature of the way that the game works. And so that was huge for, for Aaron Rodgers, and it was huge for Derek Carr because he actually picks up someone that last year, despite seeing the second most, or might have been the most double coverage actually in the league last year, he didn't care. Like, he just keeps on going, and that's Devontae Adams. So, yeah, I absolutely love him. That's a big part of Derek Carr. I've actually not been huge on Derek Carr in the past. He's been someone always that I kind of thought, well, people probably hate him too much, right? He's <laughs> one of these guys that... People want to jump on him, you know, and, and I get it. Like back in the day, he wouldn't throw the deep ball that much. And sometimes, you know, you got to remember, okay, well, what is, what's the quarterback have on their roster? You know, and that's the thing that I kind of had to learn through the years. Some of these things change when the personnel changes. And here's the big thing for me though, with Carr, like this week, um, you know, in playing in the AFC West, we've talked about this before. The beauty of drafting these quarterbacks or drafting players on these team period is the fact that they're just going to be in a ton of shootouts. Like we already saw a huge game total in week one, and now we get another one in week two. You know, so if you look at the Cardinals, um, you look at this matchup, I mean, Patrick Mahomes lit them up for 360 yards and five touchdowns. Now he is Patrick Mahomes, right? But this is Patrick Mahomes without Tyreek Hill. We just talked about the impact of losing a really good receiver and what that can look like. And so with Carr, I mean, he threw for 295 and uh, two touchdowns last weekend against the Chargers. This is a much easier matchup. Um, it's also, you know, the second best game total or the fourth highest game total on the slate. So expecting that shootout over at Pro Football Focus, if you look at their quarterback strength of schedule metric, it actually is the number two for the week. So there's just a lot of things like when I go through my process around Derek Carr, like, are they going to have to throw the ball? Check. Yes. Uh, is it going to be a high scoring game? Check. Yes. Does he have weapons to throw the ball? Is the team healthy? Check. Yes. Like, so you just keep, he just bumps up 
you know, in the tiers this week because it's a it's a juicy matchup. I just want to ask you quick about the rest of the pass catchers there because we know Devontae Adams is going to occupy a large target share there. I, I've had this fear of Hunter Renfro, and I kind of stayed away from him in drafts just because I don't think he gets the volume and I don't think he gets uh, enough downfield throws to really be relevant. Uh, is that valid, or is there still room for Hunter Renfro to prosper here? I th- What's interesting is I really do think there's still room, um, and here's why. Like We saw Devontae Adams get a 45% target share last weekend, and we still saw... Darren Waller get to 18% and Hunter Renfro get to 18%. So you had a, basically you've got all of the offense channeled through these three players. And I think that's what we're going to continue to see. And we know Devontae Adams is not going to get 45% of it every week. Like 30% is great. You know, 25% is really good. Um, so in those weeks where, you know, he's more just really good and not just an amazing superhero, um, we're going to have these scenarios where you've got another 20%, you know, just available. And so I think a lot of that we now see is still going to go to Waller. It's still going to go to Hunter Renfro. The, the good thing for Renfro, Marcus, is the fact that with Josh McDaniels in this offense, with a slot receiver, what he's historically done is he finds a way to keep them on the field. So even when they go to two tight end sets, even when they go to you know a fullback set, those sort of things, he will still keep that player on the field and what we what coaches call you know the Z position. He moves him around, does a lot of different things with him. So his route participation, you know, my projection was always that he's going to lose some targets because Devontae Adams is coming in, but. He's going to be on the field more than he has ever in his career. I mean, this is a guy that's never even passed 80% route participation. He was almost at 90% week one. So everything we thought about uh, McDaniel's offense really did hold true. And so I think you're going to have those weeks where Hunter Renfro is still going to come through for you. I agree with your overall sentiment. It's tough to think there's too much upside here when you when you have someone that can lock in a 45% target share on you. That really caps things. But at the end of the day, I still think Hunter Renfro ends up being a serviceable wide receiver three. And if something happens with Adams or Waller, you know, and, and again, it doesn't have to be season ending. You know how these things go. Players just miss a week or two. And in those cases, you're going to get spike value out of Hunter Renfro, who people forget, like, was a top 12 wide receiver last season. He was he was great last season. And you talk about things happening. I mean, for him, a lot of things happen. I mean, they you know they lose Henry Ruggs, Darren Waller's in and out of the lineup. That certainly helped. Um, so so maybe there's room. The good news is is that he is actually a good player. Um, you know, and he he can demand targets even if it's down to him really being the only player that the team has. That's what's crazy. Like he also saw a ton of bracket coverage last year. So the one thing I do talk about with Rimfro is I'm always like, folks, like I get it. Yeah, you're right. Like the the upside is not as good, but like let's give the dude some respect. He's actually really good at the game. Um, he can earn targets. You know, he just happened to play with you know he happens to play with one of the best. You know, in yeah. the whole game and Devonte Adams. Yeah, well, you know, third and Renfro was legitimately a thing last year for the Raiders and, uh, you know, very well could be a thing again this year as well. Uh, Trey Lance, it was not the best season opener for him. I mean, the conditions in Chicago were sloppy. He didn't have George Kittle. He loses Elijah Mitchell uh, at some point fairly early in that game. I know there are a lot of folks who are sort of panicking. The conversation just from a football standpoint in San Francisco was, you know, what do the Niners do now? Uh, Fantasy-wise, you've you've still got him as a top-12 quarterback this week, so this means, obviously, you have not jumped off the Trey Lance bandwagon yet. Yeah, I think the bigger concern for Lance is really long-term for the season, right? I mean, it's it's... He does have Jimmy G just sitting there, and you, <laughs> we know how Kyle Shanahan can be. Uh, he's a he's a pretty fickle guy. Like he will, you know, he he might change underwear like three or four times a day. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but when you look at his at the way he's treated some of these players and how we don't know when they land in a doghouse, that that's the only thing about Trey Lance that bothers me. But at the end of the day, like you drafted him really for his upside, and it's all still there, folks. Like when you look at him, yeah, it was week one, struggled against the Bears, was not good in the passing attack there. It's really hard to be good in the passing tech, no matter who you are. You know, when you look at that game against the Bears and the monsoon they were playing. Normally, we don't care as much about rain. We're like, okay, we just care about when. But like when the whole field is like, you know, a a reenactment of like Noah's Ark, like it actually does matter. It's going to impact the game. And but the thing that here's what I love, you know, with with Lance, if you looked at him, he was he handled uh, 28 percent of the 49ers designed rushing attempts. That means the play is called and we are saying, Trey Lance, you're running this football on this play. That's really high, like 22, 24% is elite. Like that's that's Lamar Jackson territory. That's Justin Hurts. So he was a little over that even in week one. 
And then he scrambled on 11% of his dropbacks. So you're getting a guy that's going to get probably a quarter of the rushing attempts, and he's going to pick up another 10% off of his passing dropbacks where he's going to take off and run. That is a recipe for fantasy football success. I don't know what it's going to mean for the 49ers. I don't know that that means that it makes the 49ers a good team. They could still struggle, but for all, for fantasy purposes, that's all we care about. So just since 2015, 14 of 16 quarterbacks have eclipsed just the 15% design rush rate, okay? All of them has finished as top 10 quarterbacks. Now, this is guys that played at least 15 to 16 games. If you if you miss games or whatever, I left them out. Um, so And you get a game against the Seahawks where they're 10-point favorites. Now, I, I don't know how much I trust that line, to be honest, after watching it, but, but 10 points is big. And so if the 49ers do lead, we already know they're a run-heavy team. They're going to continue to run. Well, that just in, every time you know they decide this is a run and not a pass, well, if there's a one-in-four chance that that's Trey Lance running the ball, that's good for fantasy football this weekend. So I can tell you at least you know from talking to my folks who live up in the in the Bay Area, uh, there are very little chance of a monsoon this weekend in Santa Clara. So uh, he's got that going in his favor. Um, in terms of Eli Mitchell not being there, you talk about the the, the run percentage. Jeff Wilson slides in, who's been you know, very good as a as a replacement uh, in that Shanahan offense. Does that change anything, or or do you just expect things to stay status quo with how the Niners you know operate their running game? I think they'll keep it pretty similar. Um, I, I do think. I mean, Shanahan's already come out and said though that it's going to be a hot hand approach. The thing we all just really love to hear that you know Jordan Mason is going to be available. Tyrion Davis Price will, you know, be active, you know, this weekend. So with Jeff Wilson on the waiver wire this week, I, I, I was a little tentative with him. I did not try to get like all my chips in the middle of the table on him just because I know how volatile, right? This, this situation can be. And we know to your point, yes, Trey Lance is going to gobble up, you know, 25%. So even if you're a run heavy team that that can offset part of that, that's still a lot for a quarterback to take. Debo Samuel's going to get 10 to 15% of the rushing attempts every week. Well, now we're setting at 40%. It's already gone, even in a run-heavy attack. So now if they split that remaining, you know, 60%, let's say, two ways, even if you're on the top end of that, it's probably maxing out at like 12 to 13 carries a game. And they don't throw the ball a lot to the backs because you've got Kittle, you've got Ayuk. Well, we hope we have Kittle this week, but you've also got Debo Samuel. So... It's a it's kind of a tricky situation, and I think that Jeff Wilson was probably a bit, um, you know, inflated. You know, I think he'll be fine, but I don't think he's probably going to be quite. I think some people think, oh my god, like I didn't have a running back and now I have one. I think I think he's going to be okay, <laughs> but I think he's more of an RB three, right? Uh, yeah, and for me, Jeff Wilson will forever be the guy that started the feud between Jock Peterson and Tommy Pham. Um, it's just that that's that's forever how he will live in my mind. So. Congratulations on that, I guess. I don't know. Uh, since we're talking about running backs, let's switch over. Uh, you, you sort of hit on James Conner a little bit. You've got him uh, as your running back 11 this week. Um, does he Does he gain? We talk about you know the guys who benefit from DeAndre Hopkins not being there early in the season, and you have Rondell Moore who's still sort of nursing a hamstring injury. Uh, does that sort of trickle down to James Conner as well? Not just in in the passing game, but but also just you know the Cardinals may be deciding to run the football a little more. Yeah. So one thing I've noticed, like in doing this research, um, you know, there's kind of really two archetypes of pass down backs, right? There are those passing down backs like Alvin Kamara. Um, CMC, we talked about Aaron Jones, you know, maybe being slighted and being a guy that maybe could have been one of those had he not, you know, had AJ Dillon or some of these other backs on the team with him. Um, and those are guys that really can create mismatches versus linebackers, safeties. They integrate them into downfield route running. When I say downfield, like if you go look at these players' average depth of target, it's not 12, folks. It's not a receiver. We're talking two, two yards, three yards, because they're still catching some balls behind the line of scrimmage that brings their average down. But what it does, um, it really integrates them in a way where a lot of times they're the first or second read on a pass play. Whereas there is the second archetype, a back that can catch the ball, which this is actually most running backs. He, that's what cracks me up. People come out of college and they're like, he can't catch the ball. And I'm like, it's a swing pass, folks. 99% of NFL backs can catch a swing pass. Now, Rojo's the 1% that can't, but <laughs> the other 99% actually can catch that ball. Um, it's not an Edward Scissorhand moment. You know, I mean, actually, Rojo's like stone hands, like actually deflates the football, like when it touches him. <laughs> but James Conner's really kind of an in-between. But if you had to categorize him one way or the other, he's really that he's really that tier two. Like, so he's fine. And what I've noticed in my research is on teams when they don't have 
multiple good passing weapons on the outside or at tight end, those backs will get more checkdowns. A la AJ Dillon. AJ Dillon is totally this type of back. He's not a guy you're looking to integrate into your whole passing game, but if no one can get open, you'll throw it to them. And so, yes, I think it does impact James Conner because I think without DeAndre Hopkins, if we've got Rondell Moore missing again, now we could have, you know, the all pro Greg Dortch, you know, gobbling up, you know, whatever, you know, <laughs> 10 targets. We'll see. But you have Ertz also questionable uh, again with his calf injury. He obviously was not 100% last, last week. So, yeah, I do think there's a chance like you could look up at the end of this game, Marcus, and be like, wow, James Conner was the number two receiver behind Marquise Brown on, on the Cardinals, especially if it turns into a shootout and they've got to end up keeping the pace up. And it is a game, you know, we just talked about the Raiders and Derek Carr. This is the other side of that game. And so when you look at where Vegas has it, you look at, you know, bet MGM, like it's expected to be one of the top four shootouts for the week. Yeah, I also have a feeling that you kind of may see more work in the running game just because you mentioned that game last week against Kansas City. It got out of hand really early, and I'm sure that completely changed the way Cliff Kingsbury wanted to operate. So I, I would think that the same thing's probably not going to happen. No disrespect to Derek Carr. He's not Patrick Mahomes. I just don't see the Raiders coming out firing like that. So maybe uh, we see more of James Conner running the football as well because the game script hopefully is a, a little bit yeah. more favorable. Um, Cordero Patterson obviously was a, a breakout surprise last year. I don't think anybody really saw that coming. I also didn't see him getting 22 carries in the season opener. He looked good with those opportunities. This week, they've got the Rams who are licking their wounds after being thumped by the Bills in week one. Uh, you've got you've got Cordero Patterson as your running back 17 this week. Um, is he for real? I mean, is is he here to stay in our fantasy lives? Yeah, so Patterson's a guy that, you know, I didn't get, like, why people were just so off of him. Like, I was just looking at the rest of the depth chart all offseason. I'm like, okay, Damian Williams, okay, you know, Tyler Algier, they didn't really show any confidence, you know, in him. And I was just like, Kadri Allison, they cut, they, who they ended up cut cutting. And then just looking back at Patterson last year, like, man, he was amazing until the high ankle sprain. And that's the thing a lot of people forget because, folks, you got to remember, these teams all handle injuries different ways. Like some of them, they will come out and tell you every week a player's hurt and they're not hurt. Others, you know, they'll come. Now, I know that this is all supposed to be tightened down because of gambling and everything else. And I, I, I get all that. But I'm just telling you, different teams still handle it different ways. There are guidelines within the guidelines, right, that the teams operate by. And they know what margins they can push in order to get through these things. And so when you look at the Falcons, like he just didn't show up later on the injury report. But if you go back and look, like as soon as the high ankle sprain happened, that was it. Like that's when Corderell Patterson's, you know, production shot down. And then we saw this preseason, they only gave him two snaps the whole time. And it was the, you know, the, you know, it's kind of that, Hey, he's our starter. They gave him the first snap of the game. <laughs> they pull him off. Um, so Patterson, I just had a good feeling that like, you know, looking at the depth chart, even if they try to use another guy, like it's just going to be really hard to not have him out there. And he has a lot of outs. Like you hear me say it all the time. I love explosive playmakers that are, that work in the passing game. And that's what Cordero Patterson does. So I, I I think there's just so many reasons to love him anyway. And then to see what he did in week one, like it's great. And, and the reason I like these kind of guys, Marcus, is just because they're they're game script proof, man. If if the Falcons fall behind, fine, throw it to Cordero Patterson. If we're <laughs> ahead, we've we've seen they're willing to let him run the ball. I will say, in those leading scripts is where I would worry about him the most in the future. Um, but the, you know, I don't know how many of the, those, the Falcons will have, they did surprise us in week one against the saints and, and they looked pretty good. Um, but that's where I think we could see if Damian Williams is back. Now he got knocked out after the second drive last week. So he was actually handling more of that early down work, if you will. But for me, I'm okay with that. I don't need to see Cordero Patterson running between the tackles. Like just like, like, let me get the, get the high leverage stuff. They usually use him inside the five. Um, he gets all the passing down work and then maybe 40% of the rushing attempts. Even if he just does that, it's going to be hard to keep him out of the top 24. Um, but it's mainly just because like, no matter the game script, Corderell Patterson can remain uh, relevant. I do love the fact that he he's figured out how to finesse the preseason where you play without really actually playing. And I'm sure there are a lot of, uh, you know, veterans who wouldn't mind kind of going that route. Um, Daryl Henderson, uh, you know, when we, we started the season last Thursday against the Bills, I remember watching it and thinking, oh, huh, Daryl Henderson's starting. And then another drive happened. I'm like, hey, Daryl Henderson's still in the game. And we're in the second quarter. I'm like, you know, I haven't seen Cam Akers yet. And obviously that was one of the big talking points uh, for the week with a lot of folks who spent a lot of draft capital to get Cam Akers. Uh, is, are, have we reached the point 
in week two now, early in the season, where we have to sort of flip that narrative. And now Daryl Henderson is officially the lead back for the Rams. Yeah, I mean, the way they used him last week, like, it was it was insane. 82% of the snaps, 81% of the rushing attempts, 78% route participation. He saw 12% of the targets. I mean, it. I, I know some people will say they saw this coming. Like, okay, great. Congratulations. <laughs> Guess what? Like, that, that, that's, the, that's like the same utilization you saw from CMC and Barkley in week one. Like, that, that's like the ultimate level of utilization. And so I don't think it can continue at that pace, Marcus. I say that. But at the end of the day, like I've got him six spots higher than industry consensus just because I'm like, OK, well, that's not all leaving in one week. Like so even if that bumps down to 70 percent or 60 percent of the snaps, I think I feel really comfortable knowing that he is the starter. <laughs> he is the guy that's going to get the majority of the work. And Cam Akers is going to have to slowly chip away and earn that away. It's not something where I just see it all of a sudden flipping, you know, in one week. Now, as soon as I say this, like, this is what we'll be talking about next week. You'll be like, Dwayne, man, you thought Daryl Henderson was so awesome. And now Cam Akers got 80% of the snaps. So, but that's why, that's what keeps me from moving up higher because on his utilization alone. And again, we talked about running backs a minute ago, like, it's it's the key, man. If you're getting the touches, like you're going to have a good chance to score a lot of fantasy points. If you're if you're a better player, like that increases. Um, but if if we didn't think Cam Akers had any shot of carving out more work, like you would have to have him in like your top eight, like with this usage um, compared to the other backs in the league. But, but I, I left enough room there to still be ahead of consensus, and at the same time say, okay, I, I realize Cam Akers could be more involved, but I think you still have to put your chip on the fact that Henderson's clearly the lead back for right now. Yeah, I just think the way they were used and, and the fact that Akers had three carries, uh, was barely on the field. I don't see a major shift. Maybe that gap closes in week two, but I just can't see it completely flipping the other way so soon. Uh, unless unless Sean McVay just hates our fantasy teams, which I guess is not out of the equation uh, at all. So we will find that out together uh, sometime this weekend. All right, so we talk about original recipe. We talk about classics being classics, but sometimes... Want to get a little extra spicy, want to get a little bit bold. So let's bring in Matthew Barry for some bold calls this week. All right, time now for the Leave the Chicken to KFC segment presented by Kentucky Fried Chicken. That's finger licking good. All right, Dwayne, uh, my bold call, it's a bold call segment. That's the idea behind this segment, right? It's, it's a bold call segment uh, where, you know, again, like we don't want to be chickens in fantasy football. You know, uh, fortune favors the brave. We don't want to be chicken. Let's leave the chicken to the experts over at KFC. Let's make some calls. And I'm going to make a bold call here, and that's a Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk, the much derided for his contract, Christian Kirk, uh, is finishes week two as a top 10 fantasy wide receiver. I currently have him ranked inside my top 25, but my bold call is that he finishes top 10. This is a guy who had 12 targets last, uh, last week and almost a 32% target share. We know a couple of things. Jacksonville is going to throw. It's going to be a throw-first offense under Doug Peterson, a former NFL quarterback. And they're also four-point underdogs uh, as of this uh, taping to the Colts. So we expect them to be down. They're going to have to throw because that's how they move the ball offensively. And when they're throwing the ball, Trevor Lawrence is looking for Christian Kirk, who's a talented wide receiver. I think he'll have success against Indianapolis. That's my bold call. Christian Kirk, top 10 wide receiver in week two. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that one. Um, my thoughts on Kirk are by this time next week, we very well could be talking about someone, Matthew, that everyone's like borderline ranking in their top 12 wide receivers anyway, for sure going to be a wide receiver too, if he does what he did in week one again. And I think all signs really point to that. I mean, the one concern we had was, okay, it's kind of, they have a lot of different weapons. Are they really going to feature Kirk? We haven't seen Kirk be featured in an offense in the past, um, but they used him aside in the slot. 90% of his routes came from there. And that's really where he was, he was always a superstar, if you will, when he was put into those situations in Arizona, whenever he had to play out side wasn't quite as good so it's clear that when we look at the Jaguars they know how to best utilize Christian Kirk and you hit on all the main stuff but a big part being out there 92% of the routes he's on the field all the time in the passing situations third and fourth down was the guy that Trevor Lawrence was looking for um, a lot of his targets are coming off of play action which are worth more than normal targets so yeah I think when I look at Christian Kirk I'm like wow like is this a guy that whenever you're getting him in around seven or eight of fantasy drafts are we going to look up and be like whoa we really have a mid-range wide receiver two, maybe a borderline wide receiver one when this season is said and done yeah i think so uh as well again just because it's a bad nfl team doesn't mean there isn't fantasy production to be had there and I, you know it it's simple but you know the the whole follow money 
I mean, what happened at the start of free agency? Not only did Christian Kirk get paid, but he got paid at the beginning. Like he was a target specifically for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, you know, having that kind of buy-in from a new regime, a new coach, a new general manager, the whole, you know, thing like Christian based, especially because when you think about the reaction that that contract got, Christian Kirk needs to work. For the Jaguars, like they need him to work. You know, a lot of things can go wrong this season and they'll be okay because people understand it's a rebuilding situation, but they need Christian Kirk to work. He's got a good quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. We like him. It's a fantasy-friendly offense as well. To your point, they can move him all over the, the field. That's what's exciting as well. He can play the slot. He can play outside. Uh, it's going to be a pass-first offense, A, because that's just Peter, how Peterson tends to call games, and also because they're going to need to based on that team. So just a lot lining up for Kirk, who is young and talented and getting a chance to shine in Jacksonville. Remember, KFC has meals that will feed the whole team on game day. That's finger-licking good. Order now on the KFC app or on KFC.com. Well, thank you, Matthew. Uh, let's let's keep this thing going, though, with the rankings talk, and uh, let's let's dive into some wide receivers. Mike Evans uh, right now is the consensus wide receiver six on Fantasy Life. Uh, Dwayne, you want to talk about another guy that maybe maybe I'm guilty of just looking at him and feeling like I'm I'm taking him for granted, right? Because every year you're talking about a thousand yards, you're talking about a decent touchdown number. Uh, there's so many other weapons around him, even if they are sort of banged up this week. Uh, tell me why I need to you know just stop taking Mike Evans for granted and remember how great this guy has been in his career. Well, I think the big thing for Evans um, is just when you don't have Chris Godwin on the field, like he's just, uh, look, if you've got Godwin and you've got him and you've got Russell Gage, you've got Julio Jones, you've got all these different weapons, even with Tom Brady, Brady's very willing to spread it around, right? So that really makes him more of a wide receiver too. And I actually agree with that. But in games where we don't have Godwin, like he is usually a high end wide receiver one, you know? And so last week, you know, his game where they were really just leading the Cowboys. I mean, he wasn't even out there for 80% of the routes. Um, and that's an, a situation where you had Chris Godwin leave the game early. You had Russell Gage battling a hamstring injury still. He didn't practice yesterday, so he obviously still wasn't right. Um, so I think it's a situation where as long as this calf injury, like he's got a little you know, calf issue that popped up yesterday, as long as that's not something by Friday and he's off the injury report, like just know that Mike Evans, when you don't have Godwin, like you're talking about a 25 to 30 point PPR fantasy wide receiver and Brady's much more willing to lock in on him because they use him differently. Like when they've got the full complement of weapons is really got Godwin's attacking more of the underneath and the intermediate stuff. He moves into the slot a lot. And then really Evans is attacking more of the deep outside routes. And so Brady, he's just basically reading the coverage and he's like, okay, great. Like if you're going to have two over the top on Evans, I'm just not going to force it. Like, you know, you know, Jameis Winston or Carson Wentz or some of these other quarterbacks would, because, you know, I'm 45 year old still playing football. And so he knows how to manage those things. But in the games where you don't have Godwin, like they move Evans into those other roles. He doesn't just handle that outside and deep route tree. They'll move him into the slot. They'll just change up and, you know, he'll still play outside and they'll just change, you know, the route depths for him, create some different concepts. So they, the, the Bucks know how to maximize, you know, Mike Evans. He's still an elite receiver. The biggest thing that holds him back, holds him back, you know, historically, over the last couple of years, the Brady has just really been the fact that they've been loaded. Uh, let me correct something. I said, I said he was six in consensus. He's actually nine or uh, eight, I should say, in the uh, consensus rankings. Either way, he's still a top 10 receiver coming into the week. Um, any thought? Like, if, if we don't see – well, we're not going to see Chris Godwin this week. Uh, do we believe in Russell Gage now, or is there just too many weapons there for him to make an impact? I think with Gage, we just need to see the practice. Um, so I, I like Gage a lot more than a lot of other uh, fantasy analysts did. Like when I, I look at this breakout stuff, you know, all over the offseason and I did some new studies, um, you know, he actually popped in a lot of different metrics. Now, he hadn't had anything higher than a wide receiver four fan, uh, finish for fantasy football. But if you looked at him last year, uh, like he totally crushed single man coverage. Like he was one of the best in the NFL um, as far as, you know, how often his quarterback went to him when he saw that sort of look. The player for that that did that last year um, for the Buccaneers was A.J. Brown. Like they're a similar archetype. Look, it's I folks. AJ Brown, elite. I'm not saying that's what Russell Gage is, just to be very clear. <laughs> but like I could totally see him getting a 20, 22% target share, you know, that kind of thing if he could just get healthy, right? And stay on the field. The challenge that he's got right now, though, is Julio Jones was looking pretty good last week. And so if Chris Godwin comes back, we're talking kind of down the line now. 
which he will, I can say in a couple of weeks. And then let's say Julio's continued to play really well. Like I think that creates a scenario where Russell Gage is probably at a minimum in a rotation, even though they paid him the guy I'm the most interested this week. You know, it is Julio Jones. Now he missed practice yesterday with a knee, but who knows that could just be veteran, you know, day management. Um, like you mentioned on, on the pod earlier this week, you know, Julio is the guy that we all have to be like, Get up, Julio. Get up. Like every time he every time he just catches the ball and just falls down with no one tackling him. He's still very slow to get up. Um, and he's always been that way, even when he was young. So I mean he's a big dude. So let's just imagine what gravity does in that situation. Um, so yeah, I love Julio this week though, man. Like I I don't have him in my top twenty-four, but he's really close to being inside my top twenty-four. He's at number twenty-seven right now. Um, and man, if for some reason like he was the guy out there and Mike Evans did this calf thing turned out to be something like I think Julio showed enough last week to be like with Tom Brady. Um, yeah, he could still put up a wide receiver one week. I, I took away from that game watching him that he looked like the Julio of old instead of old Julio. And that is super encouraging for fantasy. Obviously, it's super encouraging for the Buccaneers as well. Uh, so we'll keep an eye on that because I, I saw the injury report uh, that came out on Wednesday. It was lengthy for the Buccaneers. So we'll see how many of those guys are able to go uh, once we get to the weekend. Speaking of Texas A&M wide receivers, uh, Christian Kirk was a guy that, you know, he signed a huge deal right at the beginning of free agency with the Jaguars and everybody sort of, you know, turned their nose up at it. And, you know, I know the Jaguars are an easy punchline. It's easy to point and laugh at them. But in week one, uh, Christian Kirk sort of got his revenge a little bit. A huge game, over 100 yards, had a touchdown. Uh, could it be that now, you know, sort of free from the shackles of DeAndre Hopkins and the chance to be a number one receiver, that we're finally going to get the Christian Kirk breakout season we've been waiting for? Yeah, I think we're in that situation. <laughs> you know, um, like he's a guy that was kind of borderline uh, in all the breakout stuff I look at, um, but he was there. Like he was definitely like, and I wrote my breakout receivers article, uh, like I don't know, it was like back in May. Christian Kirk was on it. Like he wasn't in the first tier of guys, but he was on it. Um, and it was something where I really wanted to make sure he stayed in the slot and he was in the slot for 90% of the snaps in week one. When you look at, uh, Kirk historically, when they've asked him to play outside, like everything has gone down yards per route run targets per route run target share, all of those sort of things. So he hasn't been as good when you've asked him to play outside against some of the top coverage in the league, but when you can get him to the inside and this is not a knock folks, this is a, it still means you're a really good receiver in the NFL. Like you're a really good player if you're just on the field, right. In the NFL, but where Christian Kirk is best is whenever he's in the slot and last week. So he was out there for 92% of the routes. That's great for wide receivers. We want to see them at 85 to 90% or better. He saw 28% of the targets for the Jaguars. He led the way. He also had 34% of the air yards. So yeah, I, I love what I saw from Christian Kirk. Um, and they and they were getting him in motion, doing a lot of different things with him, um, but a 2.85 yards per route run on his first uh, game of the season. So I everything points to Christian Kirk being somebody, if you were taking him around seven or eight of your fantasy drafts, you're going to be really happy. And he could probably perform like a wide receiver two for the rest of the season. What's your level of confidence that the Jaguars offense is going to be better this year than it was last? Last year was just a nightmare in about every every imaginable aspect. Uh, do you have a level of confidence that it's going to be at least a little bit better this year? Well, yeah, I think a, a couple of things. You know, one, they they changed coordinators, right? And they moved to Doug Peterson as the head coach. So I think that's... It. Could be a positive. It's not that Doug Peterson, not all of his offenses have been great, right? But he's he's led some good offenses in the past. Like he's gotten a really good year out of Carson Wentz. We get Trevor Lawrence in year two. You add Christian Kirk to the offense. Uh, you know, you've got Travis Etienne. You know, they can get him involved in the passing game. Look, folks, Etienne dropped a touchdown pass and was missed on a touchdown pass by Trevor Lawrence. We are two plays that most people don't know about away from everyone this week instead of moving Travis Etienne down to like a RB four or something talking about him as, Whoa, look at Travis Etienne. <laughs> like he's going to be a top 10 player. That's how this fantasy things. That's how this fantasy thing works. So, um, I think there are enough weapons, you know, in the passing game as well. You know, they also added Zay Jones who had a nice week one, you know, for being a complimentary player. So yeah, I, I do think there's a chance for this. Uh, they can't be worse. I mean, you kind of started us <laughs> off with, with the rock bottom of the situation, Marcus. So I feel like they have to be better than that. I, that's kind of how I feel about it too. So, uh, but I'm, I'm curious just to kind of watch them. I like what Christian Kirk did. I like ET and I like James Robinson and I'm, I'm hoping for the best, keeping my fingers crossed for Trevor Lawrence, uh, to kind of take that big step forward this year. Uh, let's turn to the tight ends. 
Hunter Henry, look, I've loved Hunter Henry for his whole career. Still waiting for the, the huge season. He's had some good seasons. Uh, I always loved John U. Smith. I hated it when they decided to both sign with the same team in free agency in the same year. And I feel like what we saw from them on Sunday was you know two guys splitting uh, work that would have made one of them alone a really good option. Uh, Tell me about Hunter Henry, though, and why, if I'm picking between Patriots tight ends, is, is he the guy that I should be focusing on? Yeah, so as I was sitting, you know, in my office, like, kind of looking at data as it was coming in on Sunday and watching the games just like you were, like, I was kind of thinking the same thing. Like, it's, and I didn't even, it didn't register with me what was going on. But as I went back and I looked at it, number one, like, the Patriots, like, I, I think they're trying to do this old uh, Hernandez-Gronk thing. Not not saying that it's going to work. They're going to forever try it, right? Like, the, the year two years ago when they drafted the two tight ends that no one even knew, like, uh, Doc, what was it, Doc Keen, and I can't even remember the other yeah, guys. It was As- like, like Asiasi. Asiasi or, them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was like, oh, man, like, maybe these are going to be the two. No, they've both been released. But anyway, <laughs> looking at Hunter Henry, um, they used a lot of 12 personnel last weekend. So when I say a lot, like 40% almost, that that's really high. It was the second most in the NFL for week one. And what's significant about it, when most teams go to use 12 personnel, they're leading, right? Because it's the formation you come out in. Like most teams either have an extra tight end that they think is a really good blocker and they use it for their for their uh, run-heavy scheme, or they've got a fullback. And then you call it, that's 21 personnel. Well, for the Patriots... You know, 12 personnel is really the way they've kind of moved on from the whole fullback experience, you know, at least for now. And it just showed me that even though they were trailing, like they're not just looking at it as a run heavy, situ- uh, you know, package, like they're actually going to use it to try to throw the ball. They think that John U. Smith is one of the best, you know, options on the team to have on the field on passing downs. And that makes makes sense to me. You know, you paid John U. a lot last year and he hardly played at all. But what really popped to me is Jonu was just basically get on getting on the field in the 12 looks. And then he got a few other snaps from Hunter from Hunter Henry, but Henry was pretty much not leaving the field. He was out there 83% of the dropbacks um in week 1 for Mac Jones. Now, what's a Mac Jones dropback worth right now? I, I don't know. It might be zero. There's a chance. Like this worth zero right now. Like the Patriots offense is in complete disarray. Um but that's a very positive thing. Historically, if you're over the 80% threshold mark and route participation, now again, it's week one, but if that were Hunter Henry's shown, he's a decent tight end. He's never shown he's a great tight end, but he could be, he's a Dalton Schultz, TJ Hawkinson level tight end. He's that level of talent. If he's out there 83% of the routes and the fact that Devontae Parker's not earning a lot of targets, we know Jacoby Myers is going to get his, but he's not getting 40%. This is not Devontae Adams. You know, we got Nelson Aguilar. Like, what's he going to do? Kendrick Bourne can't even get on the field. Um, Tyquan Thornton, like, okay, we'll see what happens in a few weeks. Probably won't be much. Like, you know, I mean, most people thought that was a guy that was a basically just a special teams player, and the Patriots, like, took him way early in the draft. So I think there's a real chance here, like, that Hunter Henry has, like, one of the top two options on the team from a target share standpoint if he can be out there for 80% of the routes. So he's a guy that I moved up, you know, my rankings multiple spots this week. He, last week he was just kind of down in a group of blah guys. I'm like, okay, guys, like uh, – put my rankings on your wall and throw a dartboard. Like, you know, good luck. <laughs> like he's moved out of that tier. He's moved out of that tier now. And he's actually someone I'd be willing to pull the trigger on starting. All right. Uh, that's, that's definitely good to know. And I do think it goes back to your point of what is the value of a Mac Jones drop back. And we're still sort of <laughs> learning that in this new world, no Josh McDaniels trying to figure out, you know, the, the play calling situation and that whole thing. So uh, I think that's probably the next step in the process when we start to evaluate any Patriots pass catchers. Over to Denver, I was on the Albert Okuye Boonham train all offseason long. I thought adding Russell Wilson was going to be a big boon to him. Um, and look, five catches, 33 yards, eh, not not great. Uh, could have been worse, I guess. Uh, Greg Dulcich is still sort of recovering, and there's certainly talk that the coaching staff likes him a lot and wants to get him very much involved. Uh, is there still time for for the Albert O thing to happen? I mean, is the clock ticking? How are we feeling about him? Well, I think you just have to embrace the full, you know, um, the, the the varying polar ends of the you know Albert Okwebunum like experience. Uh, I think that's just what you have to do. Like, it's you're going to have the lows and you're going to have the highs. We got a high in week one. Like now, where does he end up? I can't say for sure, but uh, like you have to pay attention, and here's why. 
he really flashed like elite playmaking ability and a limited role over the two years before. He was the backup to Noah Fant, had a couple of games where he got to start, and he had a 24% target rate, right? So that's targets per route run, and he had a 1.94 yards per route run. So those two numbers compare with the very elite tight ends in the NFL. We're talking George Kittle. We're talking Darren Waller. Now, sometimes this is what we have to do in fantasy, right? We have a small sample. And it's like, well, it's really all we have to go to, but he at least has this, and no one else I'm looking at on my spreadsheet has this. So, like, I'm going to give him a shot. And week one was encouraging because after the preseason, where we saw Albert O having to play in the game when no other starter for the Broncos was even out there. And he was playing into the fourth quarter of these games. And I was just like, okay, what is going on? Like, is he just completely in the doghouse? Maybe they were trying to work on his blocking. You know, it could have gone either way. Like the Gasicki thing, that's what happened with Gasicki. It's like, oh, we're working on his blocking. And then they decided he can't block. And now he's not playing. <laughs> with Albert O, he still wasn't out there in like the 21 personnel. That's when they had back in at fullback. Um, and then they had Tomlinson and some of these other guys out there. But when it was time to throw the ball, which is really all we care about for tight ends, 77% of the time that Russ Wilson dropped back to pass, he was on the field um, you know, running a route. And he ran all of the two-minute offense, which the Broncos, surprisingly, happened to need a lot more than we thought they would you know, against the Seattle team in week one. So I think those are all positives. I think he probably... He's not to that 80% we love, but he's still got enough of a, uh, he's still of enough of an upside, you know, in the talent bucket, like that I want to kind of keep him ranked, you know, like tight end 10 or 11 for now, and let's see what happens. We may have to change our minds once Greg, Greg Dulcich comes back, um, but he's certainly a fascinating player to follow just because we know that potentially the upside's there. And I think it's fair to to remember, too, that if you were drafting him, you weren't drafting him to be, you know, one of those top end guys, even one of those, you know, as you mentioned, the the Dalton Schultzes, the Hawkinsons. He was a late round guy with upside. So as long as he's still showing that, I think you can sort of feel OK about about having him on your roster. I want to finish up with Tyler Higby because you were joking before the show about, you know, you're just you're just waiting for Higby basically to break your heart again. I, I jokingly called him a Fitbit player who's out there just kind of getting his steps in, not necessarily getting a whole lot of work done. Uh, he did get surprisingly more targets than I would have thought in week one. And when I say that, I mean, it was it was significantly more than Allen Robinson. So that sort of took me by surprise. Uh, but is this is this a thing or is this just the normal highs and lows of Tyler Higby? I think we'll have to see. Like, I, I'm definitely jaded on the topic. You know, you guys hear me talk about this 80% route participation. It is actually based on, like, I've done a lot of research around it. Like, for tight ends, like, basically, if you're at that number, you're a top 12 tight end. And it's very rare that you're not. If you Now, again, like, we've only seen week one. But for players that can kind of sustain that for a season... You know, they're in, and they're out there enough because a lot of these guys have to stay in the block when their quarterback is passing. They just bring them off the field when they're passing because they're just like, oh, we'll just we'd rather have a receiver out there. So the tight ends, the 80 percent is an important number because it means you're integrated into the offense enough. You have a chance. And so like 85 percent of the time you hit that number, you're in the top 12. Tyler Higby was my guy last year on the utilization report. Every week I was like, OK, folks, here we are again, like Tyler Higby uh, out there for 90 percent of the routes. And he sucked again. So like, <laughs> I can't tell you for sure what's going to happen with him. But to your point, like it was encouraging in week one. He did see a 23% target share. He was second on the team, obviously, behind Cooper Cup, like who basically, you know, just gets 80% of the targets. It feels like every single week um, because, you know, like he just he likes to eat. He likes to eat his meals with Matthew Stafford. Like I would have a group if I were if I were these guys, I would demand, you know, a group lunch you know, a group breakfast. Right? Like I, I, I would just be like inserting myself. Like I wouldn't even ask. I would just be like slipping in on this, you know, this conversation. Um, but if Alan Robinson does struggle um, and Jetpack Galileo, great follow on Twitter. Got to give him a shout out. He actually recorded every single route for Alan Robinson. and was listening, you know, going back and listening to Matthew Stafford saying, well, you know, basically they were running a lot of cloud coverage. There were two guys outside on Robinson. McVay was, t was talking about, you know, uh, you know, what all Alan Robinson does from a route tree perspective. And it was just Alan Robinson, like running like these three and four yard hitches, like over and over. And they weren't even real hitches. They were like, Hey, three yards turnaround. 
you know, it's almost like more like you're playing in the front yard and it's the kid that's, you know, they're like, he doesn't know the routes or anything and you're, but you're trying to keep him involved in the game. Like, hey man, just go like three steps and turn around. I'll, I'll throw you the ball if, if no one else is open. And so that's kind of what happened to Allen Robinson on week one. And then that, that meant that Tyler Higby, you know, he was actually getting the ball more. So I think it really depends. Is Allen Robinson washed? I don't think Allen Robinson's washed. When I watched that, I was just like, oh my God, like this is, this is, this is the route tree we're giving to Allen Robinson. Like, this is not going to work against any team. And Stafford at the end of the game was like, well, I think, you know, they only ran man on like two plays. I'm like, dude, like the league runs zone on 70% of plays. Like we talk about man coverage and stuff, and it is a better indicator of if a player can beat, you know, uh, you know, can get open consistently. But at the end of the day, like most teams are running zone. So if this is the thing, like I'm really worried about Allen Robinson and that could mean more for Higby. Well, uh, I would suggest he goes and you know, look, look, there's, there's Randy's Donuts, Randy's famous donut shop, which is just a couple of miles from SoFi Stadium. So I would advise Allen Robinson maybe to slide in, pick up a dozen, head to the stadium and see if that helps his fortunes uh, going forward uh, a little bit. Hey, maybe it, we should maybe we should DoorDash or something for Alan Robinson. Something, like, right? We can maybe, maybe maybe we should work something out on the show where we're just you know we've got Alan Robinson's back. We're gonna do something like to help take care of him. Like we yeah. gotta figure this out. I don't know. Send like a KFC like chicken biscuit or something like that. Exactly. Uh, have it shipped over there. Yeah, we, we will help you out, uh, A Rob. Help you get some targets. Absolutely. Uh, well, obviously, we we went through a whole lot. There's obviously plenty more that we could never even get to if we had you know three hours on this show. Um, anything exciting you're looking forward to though to see in week two? Um, it's an interesting slate. You know, we've got four games, Marcus, that are nine and a half points or more. Like where you've got teams that are favored by nine and a half points or more. Three of ten. And this is over on BetMGM right now. And so that creates some interesting dynamics, something for folks just to remember. Like if you have a running back on a team that is expected to trail by that amount, you know, or to lose by 10, 10 is a huge line. Um, if they are not involved in the passing game, you probably don't want them on your on the field. And, unless it's just a stud. If it's a stud, you don't care. If they have the passing work, you don't care. Like like Cordero Patterson, you know, is kind of in, in, in the boat this weekend, but he catches passes, so you're okay. Um, the other side of that, though, is that for the quarterbacks and wide receivers, if you've got a team, and this doesn't include the Bills or certain teams that will just throw the ball no matter what, but most teams, if they're going to be ahead by that much, they're not going to be throwing the ball in the fourth quarter. So that means less opportunities for your receivers, less opportunities for your quarterback. Now, they could still come through with a lot of touchdowns because there's a reason they're a 10-point favorite, right? So we have these games where, and I've done this in the past, where I've faded a quarterback or a receiver for that reason, like over you know playing DFS. And then I look up at halftime. I'm like, well, second half doesn't really matter. They've got two touchdowns and 125 yards. Like I probably should have just went ahead and played them. <laughs> um, but all things being equal, like when you're looking across, like that immediately stuck out to me this weekend about this slate. So I'm always interested in watching those things play out. And I'm just always interested in like, how do the, how do the games end up playing out versus what, you know, Vegas has them at anyway. There were a couple of these lines that looking at them, I was like, ah, oh, man, 10 seems like a lot, even right. for that team with the little amount of information we have. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how those play out. I'm just also curious about a lot of the guys who sort of flopped in week one and seeing how they bounce back. You know, guys like we talked about Allen Robinson, you know, what happens with the Cowboys offense now with no Dak Prescott, does Devontae Smith, uh, you know, does Jalen Hurts remember what Devontae Smith looks like? <laughs> does he get involved in those? Because, you know, I think if, if those guys have good performances, everybody calms down. Uh, if we see them put up another dud, you're going to have a lot of panic uh, out in these fantasy streets coming up in the, in the next week or so. So uh, plenty to watch. Plenty we will have to talk about when we get back to you guys next week. So we appreciate you listening. As always, that'll wrap it up for this edition of the Fantasy Life Podcast presented by KFC. For Dwayne, I am Marcus. Enjoy week two, and we'll talk to you next week. Special thanks again to our presenting sponsor, Kentucky Fried Chicken. That's finger licking good. Feed your whole team and make everyone happy with easy meals from KFC. You can't go wrong with a 12-piece tender meal when it's game day and everyone's hungry. Family style that fits your style. That's finger licking good. Order now on the KFC app or at KFC.com.